listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim, and this is Mornings with Mubaraka, where we look at national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. Today, we are talking about healthy communities. We are talking about the new CDC uh, adult obesity chart that was recently released about three weeks ago, I believe. And we are having a call in. So I want to hear from you. I want to know what you think about how we should make our communities healthier. And um, are you doing anything to make your community a healthier place to live where people can maintain their health? So our calling number today is 203-872-7356. Again, I'm going to say that 203-872-7356. So if you want to call in and you want to give your uh, give your little piece on this, it would be um, appreciated. And I would love to hear from you. So. We know that uh, obesity is not just an American epidemic, but a worldwide epidemic. Um, the CDC recently released the latest adult obesity statistics, and it was a dismal picture of a growing nation, literally. Across all racial demographics, Americans are getting fatter than ever. Connecticut is now the 10th lowest adult obesity rate in the nation, according to the state of obesity Better Policies for Healthy America, which which released their uh, their part on Connecticut in September of 2016. The adult obesity rate is currently twenty five point three percent up from 16 percent in 2000 and 10.4 percent in 1990. So the interesting thing that I always like to look at when I look at these rates of where we're going is comparative to where we used to be. I think now we have the size that people are is what we're used to. And it seems like, well, seems like everybody's always been this way. But in fact, we haven't. Over the last 20 years in particular, the obesity rate of Americans have skyrocketed. Um, in the, the 90s, we were, we were concerned that states were, had a 10% obesity rate. And so let's, say, and let, let, let's clarify. So we're not just talking about um, people on the scale that weigh a little bit more than they did 10 years ago, right? We're not talking about just being overweight. We're talking about obesity. And in terms of obesity, what the CDC does in order to collect these statistics is they actually it's actually self-reported. So um, you may have been one of the people who's gotten a phone call and they ask you your ethnicity. They ask you your race. They ask you your weight and your height. And they put it in a BMI scale. So the body mass index scale is what um, is a standard use of determining overweight, obesity, overweight and obesity and healthy weight. So it is a calculation between your weight and your height. Um, and the body mass index, it is in general, it is pretty predictive across all um, ethnicities and all uh, nationalities. Oftentimes we hear that it may not apply to this group of people or that group of people. But in general, there are very select ethnicities that it that cannot fit on the body mass index scale. So Samoans, for example, they are just 
genetically they are just big people. So they're not going to fit on the body mass index scale. Um, But in general, for most people, particularly most Americans, African-Americans, Hispanic Americans, white Americans, um, and those are the main demographics that the CDC looks at. So they look at various types of um, various uh, types of uh, um, ethnicities, and they give us a a range. So we have a caller. Um, Caller, welcome. Tell me your name and where you're calling from. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Wa alaikum My name is Sabrina Anglin. Sabrina, where are you calling from? Rochester, New York. Rochester, New York. So what is your take on on this, our new CDC release of of where the the nation just seems to not be able to drop this weight? And um, what are we doing that we need to change? Um, First of all, I think that... um, the food consumption um, in moderation. Um, in Islam, we are taught behavior in moderation. And I think when one does that, that will help their life. And of food and eating the right food, I think will help tremendously in combating some of the obesity that's taking place. So people are just eating too much. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. People are eating too much and they're not eating the right foods. So when people go to choose, let's talk about that a little bit. Exactly. So people when go to choose what are the right foods. In general, how how do you think we educate people on, on what foods are correct? Because there's so much out there in the media and, you know, fad diets and you should do this one and that one. How do we give general education to just the general public? Well, for myself, uh, I'm currently um, <clears throat> doing a community garden. And what I'm trying to do is teach the community how to sustain themselves. And I think that would help them learn about how to eat better food. And also, um, I think it will help in learning how to uh, improve. And how long have you been doing your community garden? Um, I just started this year. Um, I was inspired um, through uh, volunteering with Baraka Muslim Charities here in Rochester. Okay. Um, it's a food pantry, nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> we weren't getting that much of uh, you know healthy leafy green uh, foods and fruits and vegetables. So I said, "What can I do?" So I was inspired by that, and um, I started the the community garden, alhamdulillah, and um, it's up and running as now. So, and I hope that we get a lot of people in the community. To uh, come and uh, volunteer, and also to learn how to sustain themselves. Excellent. So I think that um, it seems like you have really created a solution to a problem. So it wasn't just about feeding people who had food insecurities and feeding them whatever you could get in a can, but you wanted to make sure that they had healthy eating choices. And I think that is the key. So congratulations. I'm I'm impressed. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. And uh, let's see who else is on the line. So thank you and continue to listen. And let's let's 
let's continue this conversation. So we are talking about, so Sabria, Sabria had a really, I think, a really great way of cr- creating a community solution. It wasn't just about food insecurity. So the interesting thing I, I think that I always like to note about food insecurity is we often think food insecurity is um, a reason why people should not be overweight. But unfortunately, it is those people who have the hardest time maintaining a healthy weight. Sometimes it's because of the types of food that they have access to. So one of the solutions that it seems that Sabria did was she made sure that those people had access to healthy foods because healthy foods should not be something that's only for the privileged, but it's something that is, is really a right for everybody. And gardening is a huge aspect of that. I know here in New Haven, Connecticut, we have lots of community garden projects that go on and they make huge strides in helping people with diabetes, people with food insecurities to make healthy eating choices. Um, You can go even in our what we what is statistically some of our most um, disadvantaged neighborhoods, the neighborhoods that have the most poverty and the most unemployment, we actually have community gardens. So community gardens have been put forth as a huge effort towards making sure that um, that people have access to healthy foods. Um, when we talk about access to food, we're talking, uh, when we talk about food insecurity, we're talking about access to food. We're talking about not just, so we're talking about whether or not people can on a daily basis say, I'm going to be able to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And most pe- most of those people in America that have food insecurity are actually children. So when we talk about food insecurity, the population that um, I always think about is the children that we're, we have so many children in America that live below the poverty line, even though I'm going to have to I have to give a little side note again uh, on that. Um, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, uh, President Obama released a um, or not release, I guess he recorded <laughs> a video um, with um, that gave a a picture of where we are economically in the country. And the biggest drop in poverty has been among children and among African-Americans. And so that is a huge, huge step forward when we talk about how we make a difference and a change in people's health. So some so. So here's some of the 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 additional statistics um, that was recently released. So we're talking uh, they looked at all the CDC looked um, and surveyed all 50 states. And according to their data, that adult obesity rate in America now exceeds 35 percent in four states. So that's significant because that is actually the largest amount of obese obese states that we've had we've seem not to be able to reduce 30 percent in 25 states are obese and above 20 percent in all states so compare this to 1990 when it was 10 percent 
in all states, right? So now we're like, if a state can just get below 20, right? Then we've made some serious strides. And once again, Louisiana, who had made such great stride and dropped to number four the last time, is back to number one. Louisiana has the highest adult obesity rate at 36.2%. And Colorado has the lowest as tw- at 20.2%. So Louisiana was doing really good for a couple of years. They actually, the last time that they were number one was in 2012. And then they went down and down and down. And then last year they came up to, I believe, maybe number two or three. And now they're back to number one. So My people in Louisiana, you got some work to do. You got to go back and look and see what you was doing in 2013 and try to repeat that. (laughs) All right. So there are four states um, uh, where the obesity rate actually decreased. And that was Minnesota, Montana, New York and Ohio and two states where it increased Kansas and Kentucky. Everyone else pretty much remained the same. We just kind of like teetered month by month up and down, but we did not decrease the obesity rate. So it's very, those were like very small strides. So everyone else pretty much made, um, remained about the same when we talk about obesity rate. So one of the things that I think that I probably get asked for, asked about often is, Why am I always talking about obesity, right? Why is it that (laughs) I am obsessed with making people lose weight? I'm not really obsessed with it. I'm very concerned about it. And the reason is, is, and I, I, and if you've listened to me for some time, or if you follow me on any of my social media platforms, you'll know that I believe wholeheartedly that obesity is the gateway disease. What do I mean by the gateway disease is that your weight is a symptom and it is a precursor of other diseases. So when you become overweight, then you increase your propensity. And this is the reason why we actually track this on a national level and on a state level and on a community level is it is We can track how and we do track how many people have diabetes and how many people have high blood pressure, how many people have heart disease. But we're tracking them after they have developed a preventable disease. So there's two things that I two I should say, um, keywords, two keywords that's here, preventable disease and gateway disease. Well, I guess that's two phrases, right? It's not really a word. <laughs> so the important thing is that we know that these things are preventable with lifestyle changes. So now we have to reverse engineer. So this is why. So this is a little bit why we as health medical professionals are concerned about obesity rate. We know that diabetes, high blood pressure, and heart disease are very difficult diseases to live with. We know that they compromise a person's quality of life. We know that they, they lead to early deaths, right? We know all of these, that people with diabetes, people with high blood pressure, people with heart disease, they 
die earlier than their counterparts with the without who are healthy who are without those diseases so when we say you know it eats, leads to early morbidity that is what we're talking about the reason so now what we want to do is we tried to figure out how to reverse engineer this so oh, so if these diseases compromise lifestyle and we want to make people healthier and we want to prevent them from getting these diseases what is kind of the common factor that is most often, so not always, so I'm not saying that skinny people don't get diabetes. Yes, skinny people get diabetes. Okay, so, but most often, what is the precursor to people developing those? And they, all three of them, more often than not, trace back to weight, obesity. So that's why this is such an important issue and why we track it and we want to we've had national campaigns to try to reduce it because obesity leads to these other things if you're just tuning in you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven's home for community radio I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim and this is Mornings with Mubaraka where we're asking you for your opinion about our topic of healthy communities and obesity. You can call in to our um, to our number at 203-872-7356. Caller, are you on the line? Do we have our caller on the line? Oh, we lost our caller. So if you just called in and we lost you, Feel free to give us a call back. Again, the number is 203-872-7356. You can call us and tell us, um, how do you think that we should approach this on a community level? So we're not just talking about individual diets, right? So that's one aspect. There is some personal responsibility to this. Um, We're not denying that. But all of our efforts have not individually have not reduced significantly the the obesity rate as a community so what are some of the community efforts that you're putting forth in your community that you've seen made it make a difference um we had one caller called in and talked about community gardens and the other thing that we want to talk about is education so i know for some areas in connecticut uh in new haven in particular I was speaking to a colleague the other day who maintains a community garden and her bigger issue is actually getting people to come and take the vegetables. Of course, you know me, I was like, what? You got kale that's not being picked, that's overgrown? Show me the way. (laughs) Here we go. Hello, caller. You are on Mornings with Mubaraka. What is your name and what city are you from? Caller, you are on Mornings with Mubaraka. What is your name and what uh, um, city and state are you from? Um, Yamina. I'm from South Carolina. Okay, Yamina. So give us your take on this. I'm sorry. Give us your take on this. We're talking about. I'm, I'm just. I'm just dialing inside. I'm not sure. Of what, 
We are talking about healthy communities. (laughs) We're talking about healthy communities and the recent um, CDC statistics of obesity. And so we want to know what, how do you think that we as a community, as a, as a community, as a state, as a nation need to help people be healthier to, and reduce the obesity rate? What do you think are some of our, our dilemmas? Because here we are again at another year and we have not made significant strides as a country to reduce our obesity rate or reduce its related diseases. So how do you think we should go about doing that? Well, um, I grew up in an era of more, um, we didn't have a lot of technology. We didn't have a lot of, um, we pretty much had the great outdoors. And we did a lot of um, moving around. And so we didn't have to worry, really worry about our, um, our weight or anything. We, didn't, we just didn't. I think today we have a lot of foods that are not really edible. They're, they're full of preservatives that, shelf and preserve well in our bodies and so so you mentioned two things eating a lot of things so you've mentioned two things that i think are really important things to 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 do a little bit exploring about so you we had the great outdoors when 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 you were younger and i agree with you i'm 40 but i remember as a 13 year old i would literally get up in the morning take my bike and I would come back at sunset. Like I would go from friend house to friend house. We would go to the park. We would ride to the store. We would go get, we would go get pizza, but we was riding our bike all day long. So how do you think that it makes a, um, how do you think that we can kind of like balance between kids enjoying the outdoors and getting physical activities, but we're not going to get rid of video games and phones and the computer so what is it that we need to do? Do we and is it something that we need to do on an individual basis or collectively? Um, I guess I would say both. I would say both. And I would say even now, not so much just regular exercise to say like, you know, aerobics and all of that. I think just, you know, more fun games, you know, going to parks more us instead of um Instead of us doing a lot of things like that in the house, but play games and things like that, that that um, it's pretty much pretty much about movement. It's about movement. That on both a community level and on a, on a on a personal level, I think in a community level it would help a lot. Like um, you know, we just had a uh, um, we just had a, a holiday. Sometimes. Um, and I know it's cheaper to to buy foods that in bulk that stretch, but I think more things like you know um, fruit kebabs and just those type of things, the candy and cookies and stuff because it's cheaper. And it's the reason why it's cheaper. This is very true. This is very true. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in. That is some food for thought. <laughs> Excuse my pun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for for all that you do. Much appreciated. Thank you, Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> so we, those are some tips that I think that we could all apply for sure. So when we talk about whether or not it's an individual level or if it's a community level, 
The bottom line is individuals make communities. So uh, the example that Yamina used was when you have a holiday, you know, there's cookies and cakes and all of the sweet and delicious stuff. But we can as well at the same time um, or instead uh, choose healthier options, bring healthier options to the community dinner or to the to the table. Literally, I think that it's super important that we uh, do we take those steps. Thank you for calling. You are um, on Mornings with Mubaraka. Who am I speaking to and where are you calling from? Hi, good morning. My name is Adrian and I'm calling from West Haven, Connecticut. Hey, Adrian. So give us your take on this. What can we do as a, a community in order to make some strides to reduce obesity? Oh, well, um, you mentioned something earlier about partnering with um, the medical facilities, and I think that's a great idea as fitness professionals. I think now is a great opportunity for us to work with the medical facilities. They're more open to work with us, the insurance companies are making it harder for them or making them work harder to make people healthier. They're not paying them the way they used to pay them. They want them to do what you mentioned, which is provide preventative medicine, preventative measures. So I think that if we work with, as fitness professionals, with, um, the healthcare community, I think uh, we could get closer to the community and we could offer services and information, not regularly get them mm. so, or visit. So it sounds like information the, provided to them. It sounds like what the what fitness professionals can offer a um, a service of implementation of what the medical professional wants the client wants the patient to do. So they can tell you to exercise, but if somebody doesn't know where to start, they can partner with a, with somebody that they can refer to them on how to implement them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that because, say, for instance, Medicare, they're not paying the hospitals the way they used to. So they're telling you to uh, get them healthy and get them out. So they used to pay for seven days. Now they're paying for three. I was just at a um, health symposium last week and the conversation came up. And as I'm listening, I was there for technology, but as I'm listening to them, I saw such an opportunity to, for fitness professionals, healthcare professionals to work with the medical industry. And I think like, for example, if we start with the community centers, cause that's closer to the community where a doctor may say, you need to exercise. If we're there within that same facility, that building, giving exercise and nutrition classes, similar to what I think you do in terms of cooking and classes. If we're actually partnered with the doctors in the same building, that would make such a huge impact as far as not just telling them what to do, but actually providing them a place to do it. Mm-hmm. That that is an excellent point, and I think that it is. I think that 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 actually can be a great solution and something that we sh- we have to explore in the future. Thank you for calling in. I appreciate your feedback, and that is actually really good. Thanks for calling, Adrian. Thank you, and have a blessed day. You too.
That is actually a really good point. And I don't think that, well, I don't know of any uh, facility or building, rather, um, medical building in which that model has been applied. I think that is certainly something that is worth exploring. So for fitness professionals and medical professionals out there, that is something that is certainly well um, that worth exploring when you have um, and it, it really is a model that doctors are they use now um, where they when they can't do an x-ray, they send you someplace to do an x-ray, right? They need you to have something done and they send it someplace else. So you could do that the same with uh, with uh, uh, fitness. So we have another caller. What is your name and where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Rashida, and I'm calling from Washington, D.C. Awesome. So, Rashida, give us your take on this. What do, what do you think that we can do to make communities healthier? Um, one way that uh, I think we can, we can look at this would be, uh, I guess, from the ground up, if you will, um, with our... Uh, with our lifestyle, our healthy lifestyle, and mostly with the food that we eat, it's uh, it's more cultural, um, I think, than anything else. I'm I'm Nigerian, so the way our foods are prepared, it's more of a cultural thing, and the the preparation isn't always the healthiest. So if there's a way to sort of modify that without necessarily, I guess, quote unquote, taking uh, uh, change in it, um, so to speak. And it's also the little things. It's, an, you know, it, it's one thing to give the information and the statistics and all of that. Um, we, we hoard information these days, but then when it comes to the practical aspects of it, um, I think there's, there's sort of a disconnect there. So let, so let me take you back to your let me things. take you back to your first point real quick, um, which which was a, a, an excellent point. One of the things that I know that we do that I do when we when we do cooking classes is we try to make culturally sensitive, uh, uh, healthier versions. So but what is right. the what's the the let me play devil's advocate. What is the um, the response to? Well, I've always eaten like this in my country. I just got fat when I came to America. So it's something. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> like, so, I've heard that. I promise you. <laughs> so is it just being in America or is it the actual food? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and what do you say when um, people tell you that? Let me see. I. And I, uh, I honestly live that. Um, my husband and I consider ourselves the, the sandwich generation where we're taking care of our kids, but we're also taking care of our elderly. And so um, little things like the oil. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you're familiar with like Nigerian cuisine, especially South Nigerian, but um, it's a lot of you know soup and stew. And so most of those are made with palm oil, which is supposed to be good in moderation but a lot of times you look at that soup and you're like good god (laughs) um so in response in response to that um instead of you know like several cooking spoons full of palm oil maybe one tablespoon and of course 
back of, oh, no, 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 no. You know, it's not going to have the same taste to it. It's not going to have seasoning. But watching sort of the same monkey see, monkey do, and uh, despite the fact that they're older generation, um, seeing myself and and my family um, eat a certain way and they see the difference, it has encouraged um, to, to take up that practice of now uh, using olive oil or coconut oil. Um, and the food is still, you know, it still tastes wonderful, probably better, actually. So, so do you, do you um, teach people so, how, to, how to, um, to make healthier recipes? Is that something that you, what have you implemented in your community that you think may, is making a difference? Um, definitely with, uh, within my, well, it has to be close circle of friends because not everyone is necessarily ready for change. Um, you have to meet people where they are, but, um, yes, just, um, changes to them. Things like, um, the infamous jollof rice, you have to have the tomato paste to give that reddish look (laughs) to it. And, you know, why not try, you know, with turmeric, it's yellow, it still gives that color to it, but, you know, um, not necessarily, the um the downside of i guess um ingredients um so yeah within within my um circle of friends within my family um incorporating that awesome when we go to um parties uh it it just if the caterer is someone that i that i know and even with the caterers a lot of the caterers are making um modifications to that that they serve at um at parties it hasn't quite caught on <laughs> totally yet but it's it's getting there so i think with the cultural um dealing with the culture of food so to speak um I, that would definitely help awesome thank you very much i appreciate your feedback that is certainly some Food for thought, as we're saying today. <laughs> I thank you for calling. Thank you. Thank that was that was a really great topic and a, and some good tips um, that it, we have to not just talk about making healthier eating choices, but how do you make culturally sensitive healthier eating choices? You know, one of the dilemmas that we have is you know everybody doesn't want to eat baked chicken and steamed broccoli for dinner every night when they need to lose weight. So how do you still make those dishes that you're used to, that is a part of your culture and food being a part of your culture is a huge, huge thing. It is what actually differentiates cultures, right? Food is a part of who we are. The smells that you have when you are young, the things that you ate on your birthday or what your mom fed you on your favorite holiday, the special dish that she would make. All of that is a part of it's it's a part of everything that makes us who we are. Our childhood experiences are what we give our own kids, what we pass down to them. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio, also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. This is Mornings with Mubaraka, and today we are asking you to call in and 
Talk to us a little bit about how we make healthier communities. We're talking about the recently released CDC statistics about on adult obesity. And we're just not making strides like we're just we had this goal right as a nation. It was like the 2020 goal of reducing the obesity rate. And it's 2016 and we're not getting where we need to be. The call in number is 203-872-7356. You can call in and give me your take. What are you doing in your community to make it healthier do you think that this is an individual responsibility or collectively as a community responsibility? We talked about uh, we talked a little bit with one caller about some food insecurities and how to give people who do have food insecurities and have to go to a, a soup kitchen or a shelter to get food and giving them an additional alternative of healthy greens and fresh vegetables from a community garden as one solution. Um, partnering with community gardens, actually partnering with um, soup kitchens. We talked a little bit about just getting people to get up and move. You know, things are very different now than when I was a teenager. And, you know, when I was a teenager, I would get up and get on my bike and just ride all day long. Um, but today, kids don't do that. And we're not going to go backwards in technology, right? Technology is just going to continue to advance. So it's really unrealistic to say we get rid of computers or get rid of games, right? So how do we balance between the physical activity and healthy eating that we need and also having access to the amount of technology that we have. And we just talked to another caller about the cultural sensitivity um, around food and making our cultural dishes more, a little bit more healthy. So one of the things that I know that, that, uh, that I hear often when, when I talk about cultural sensitivity and healthy eating is, um, well, I, I, ate this way when I was in my country, you know, and it was fine and I wasn't overweight. I think one of the huge differences that um, it makes being in America. So America itself, like once you touch the soil, I promise you that does not cause you to be obese. <laughs> it's like we have like this soil problem here in America. No matter where you come from, once you touch down, the weight just comes on. No, I promise you it's not that. I think but one of the issues is we are a privileged nation. We are a developed nation, which means that, you know, we're not walking down the street to pick up our bread. We're getting in the car and we're driving. Right. We're not um, washing our clothes by hand. Most of us are just picking up a load of clothes, taking it to the next room and putting it in the wash machine and making no physical exertion in order to get the clothes clean. So the amount of, uh, again, technology that we have, the it reduces our physical labor. Everything that we do physically is a way of burning calories. So there was one um, statistic where it showed, not, I'm sorry, not statistic, there was one uh, research study that showed that if a person changed nothing else about their life and they simply got a dishwasher, right? You didn't change anything about the way you ate, how you moved, 
The only change you made is you put your dishes in a dishwasher instead of washing them by hand. On average, that person would gain 10 pounds a year simply by putting dishes in a dishwasher. So that is an example of how your lifestyle affects. So when we have people who um, who come to America and they find that, you know, that, that the weight is increasing, part of that is the lifestyle has changed. And because the lifestyle has changed, the food has to change, right? So they have to match up. When you are in a society that is a high energy society, meaning you are, you know, walking to go get your groceries, you are making your food by hand, you're literally milling the the wheat, right? All of this expends energy. So you're expending all of this energy even before you consume the meal. That is a lifestyle issue, right? In America, we don't have to do that. We have the convenience of a grocery store. And even when you go to the grocery store, you have the choice of choosing processed foods that you don't even have to make effort to cook, right? You have this stuff stuff in a can. Um, you have things that are in packages that are that are pre-made. You don't even have to think. So just take let's take something really simple like oatmeal, right? You can get oatmeal where you literally have to stand at the stove for a whole five minutes. Woohoo! <laughs> Cook it. <laughs> or you can get a packet where you can sit at the table, open it up, and pour some hot water in it, right? Or and the hot water can come right out your sink. The amount of energy that you're using just in that difference, it is making a difference on how many calories you're actually burning, even if it's five calories or 10 calories. It adds up. So the lifestyle that we live makes a huge difference in the energy that we expend. Um, I want to tell you a little bit more about some of the statistics. Let's talk a little bit about some racial and ethnic breakdown. Right. So one of the huge the the, the biggest concern in these statistics is um the CDC, the recent CDC uh, statistics on non-Hispanic blacks, they have the highest age-adjusted rate of obesity, 48.1%. So non-Hispanic blacks, 48.1% are obese, followed by Hispanics at 425 non-Hispanic whites at 34.5 and non-Hispanic Asians at 11.7. Obesity is higher among middle-aged adults, 40 to 59 years old. So uh, now we're talking about age. When you, between 40 and 59, 40.2% of those adults are obese. Older adults age 60 and over, 37%. Among younger adults, 20 to 39, 32.3%, right? So our huge gap here, there's a huge gap between the, the ethnicities that are the most obese and the lowest on the obesity scale. 48.1 for African-American, 11.7 for Asian-Americans. Like that's a huge, huge gap. 
for people in their 40s, 40 to 59, 42.4%. So that was, so this is like, it is, it's a, it's a major, major issue for us. But here's some really interesting statistics. So here's, here's the man and woman thing. And I found this to be like the most fascinating thing. So when, when we're talking about obesity and social economic status, right? So how much money they make a year, right? Non-Hispanic black and Mexican-American men have the highest, with the highest income are more likely to have obesity than those with low income. So for black men and Mexican-American men, when they make more money, they actually gain more weight. However, for women, it is the reverse. The higher the income, the less likely they are to be obese. Very, very interesting. I thought that was very interesting. A little different between men and, men and women. I guess men just like really enjoy having money and they spend it on the restaurants. I don't know. <laughs> and women spend their extra money on personal trainers. I don't know. <laughs> so that's really interesting. <laughs> and when, let's talk about a little bit about. So here is the, the relationship between education and obesity. For men, education level didn't really matter. Well, the difference was the was the uh, uh, socioeconomic status, but education among men, the obesity rate doesn't. So if you take a, you know, 40 year old male, black male that makes the same income, one has a degree and the other one does not have a degree. It's not there's not a difference in obesity rate. However, there is a difference in degrees in education for women. The more educated, the woman with a college degree is less likely to be obese than their counterparts without a college degree. So I thought that that was really interesting. When we talk about socioeconomic status and we talk about education, it actually is literally the reverse for women and for men. So that, that's a really, really interesting statistics. If you have a, a comment or a question or you want to tell us how you are making your community healthier, give us a call at 203-872-7356. This is Mornings with Mubaraka. You're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. And we are talking about obesity and healthy communities. So one of the uh, interesting things about the, I should say, obesity, I, I'm not even sure if they categorize it as a disease. Like, I, I don't know if it's, it's, it's considered a disease or not. But it is definitely a precursor to disease. So when we say it's a precursor to disease, we know that um, some cancers are even considered obesity-related cancers. Um, Digestive system cancers, according to the World Health Organization, are strongly related to obesity. So uh, stomach cancers, uh, intestinal cancers, colon cancers are strongly related to obesity. Um, so that when we so there are cancers that we know that are correlated to um, 
to being obese. We know that diabetes, high blood pressure, and heart disease, those are the three main things that we track in its relationship to obesity. Um, And it tends to be what we call the triad of disease. Generally, if one person gets one of them, they're going to get uh, another one. So people will people tend to develop two out of the three of the diseases, diabetes, high blood pressure or heart disease. You know, if you if you listen to me for a while, you know that diabetes is what my mother suffered from for a very long time. And what she eventually what eventually took her life was the side effects of diabetes. So I'm a huge proponent of um, reducing obesity for that level, that that reason alone. And once you are diagnosed with diabetes to be extra um, vigilant in taking care of your health. Um, we've had an interesting, interesting show this time. And I am, and I have to tell you, so this is community radio, so I can be a little bit vulnerable. I was a little bit nervous about this show because I never did a call-in show before. <laughs> but <laughs> it actually turned out pretty good. I guess I can talk more than I thought I could talk. <laughs> And how is that possible? <laughs> but I enjoyed having the callers. We will have to do this again. I think we will um, make this uh, a regular, not every show, but we will regularly have shows where callers can call in because I really enjoy um, hearing how, what other people think about, about the solutions. So I want to thank you for listening. Um, you've been listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. Uh, also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. This is Mornings with Mubaraka every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Remember, we want to be your voice and talk about the issues that are important to your life. So if you have a show topic or a suggestion or a guest that you think we should interview, um, please send us an email or and go to morningswithmubaraka.com, click on the Contact Us tab, and fill out the form, and we'll get it, and we'll get back to you. Uh, thank you for listening. And I want, my name is Mubaraka Ibrahim, and I want to remind you to be a voice and not an echo.